We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Dynasty Cast on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. And we can say it, folks, week one is in the books as I am in your ear holes. The week one of the football season is done. And um, in case uh, the Ravens or Raiders do something crazy tonight, uh, we haven't seen it yet. So um, <laughs> no Don't ruin it for us. <laughs> yes, no, no spoilers on what the Raiders and Ravens game looks like uh, three days from now. All right, um, joined by the one and only Dan Sanyo. Are you excited to chop up Week One, my friend? Very excited. Uh, a lot of a lot of hills that I chose to die on that ended up being re- correct. A lot of other hills that I ended up being wrong on. So it's uh, is it the way we want fantasy football season and regular football season to start? Lots of exciting news and. Uh, yeah, it's fun to just be able to to have these real conversations where it actually matters rather than just all speculation and guessing. We now have numbers. We have some good tape. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. All right. So we're going to start off our show on the West Coast uh, team that played the Detroit Lions. Actually, we're starting off with back-to-back, our back-to-back-to-back topics. Um from this game, we have first the 49ers backfield. When the weekly inactives came out, we had Trey Sermon announced as a healthy scratch, which is certainly a surprise. Um, you know, many people saw him as possibly the RB1 in San Francisco. And kind of the more surprise there was that the seventh rounder running back <clears throat> for San Francisco that I'm now blaming on his name as I'm talking. Uh, Elijah can- Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell, there you go. Sixth rounder. Sixth rounder, seventh, whatever. Elijah Mitchell got the got got the healthy, you know, playing um, as opposed to Trey Sermon. So that was that was kind of like oh, like the antenna went above, like oh, that's interesting in as far as Mitchell. And then of course Raheem Mostert, as Raheem Mostert does on days that end in Y. Uh, Raheem Mostert uh, suffered a major injury. Um, He is out now for several weeks, uh, if not the whole year, and. 
Elijah Mitchell with that opportunity um, blew up. I think he had about 96 yards and a touchdown. And so certainly impressive in his debut. So what is the biggest news here? The trade for Sermon healthy scratch, the Moster injury, or Mitchell's big game? Well, the biggest news is that Shanahan offenses are still hashtag good. <laughs> that, uh, I don't think that's ever going to change. And I honestly don't think it really matters who that running back is. Now, whether or not they stay healthy is kind of what we've been we've been hoping for to try to get a little bit of consistency out of this backfield over the last few years. This year looks like it's going to be no different. Uh, and to be honest, the Elijah Mitchell news, I, I'm not super surprised by. There was a lot of really, really smart analysts, a lot of guys that, you know, when they when they drop a uh, their rankings or, you know, some form of article, uh, an ear article, whatever it happens to be, I listen, and a lot of people liked Elijah Mitchell out of Louisiana, uh, thought he could really, really be a decent fantasy sleeper, especially because of the landing spot. And they actually liked the tape uh, of him coming out. I didn't really get uh, enough time to dive into what is a sixth rounder. But from what I saw, and yes, it is the Lions, he looked pretty good. He obviously has a pretty good grasp of the system. Uh, everything kind of was there in front of him, and he, he took what was there. I don't necessarily think he's special, but again, it's a Shanahan offense. It's built for running backs. It's built for moving the football. Um, it, you know, this this is good. Now, the Trey Sermon bit, I, I think it's the, you're going to earn your spot. We want to, you know, you're not just going to be given anything. I, I think it's more that than Trey Sermon not getting it or, or whatever that happens to be. Maybe he's not 100% healthy and they're just using that as a, you know, a, a ploy. They've been known to hide injuries in the past. Um, but we'll we'll see. I, I don't think this is ever really going to be a true, you know, like bell cow situation unless they go out and spend big on a running back or bring in a big name. I, I see this as just kind of consistently being a, a committee backfield because it's just kind of how the Shannon offense is run. And as we do on this show, I'm taking a dive into the Rotoviz box score scout for Elijah Mitchell. Um, some names that you probably haven't heard of. Uh, you have Jordan Kinzeri, uh, Ian Johnson. Remember Ian Johnson? He's the guy who proposed after after the Statue of Liberty play. Uh, oh, Michael Gordon. I will never forget that. Trust me. Never forget that one. <laughs> Michael Gordon, Patrick Jackson. So a bunch of no names, but that will usually happen when we have these late draft capital. Guys, I think that the biggest news here is the scratch itself though I, I think you might be underplaying it a little bit i think that one of the two either shows how good mitchell is or how bad sermon has been you know in the shadows because mitchell is the one who got you know the first i mean sermon's the one who got the first slash second team snaps in the preseason game so you kind of expected like okay this is gonna be the guy that's gonna be the number two and then on game day he's just a healthy scratch so it's either a huge negative indicator for him or like you said maybe they're for some reason turning a injury into a healthy scratch, which doesn't make much sense. No. And you would think that that's not how that's going to work, but uh, I think it's more so you're going to earn this spot, but now they're probably just going to have be forced into at least giving Trey Sermon the backup role, because I think we can agree that whatever Jamichael hasty is, isn't going to be anything. Um, and their other hodgepodge group of, of running backs is is not going to be getting a, a hand in the offense. Kyle Juszczyk is just your fullback. He's essentially going to be playing 
um, halfback, you know, or tight end or just blocking. He's not going to be a, a legit part of the offense. So they're going to keep Elijah Mitchell involved. I think this might be a James Robinson type season, uh, unless Trey Sermon does prove that he is what we kind of think he is. I don't think Raheem Mostert is ever going to stay healthy long enough to take over. And I think that they'll just continue to go with whatever the hot hand is in between Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sermon, assuming Trey Sermon is just the, you're not going to just be handed the keys. You have to earn this. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And I think that with this Niners back, which is how it's been pretty much since Shanahan got there is that there is going to be, Mitchell weeks, there's going to be sermon weeks, there's going to be hasty weeks, and I think that it's going to be hard to predict on a week to week basis. But they're all going to have big explosion weeks where it's like 30 points, like hopefully it's not on your bench. Um, if I'm buying one of these guys, I think I'm going to lean towards sermon just because of the draft capital. Um, but I, I I don't think I have Mitchell anymore. If, and if I do, I'm not trying to sell because I do think that James Robinson, you know, Chris Carson from a few years ago, like that's a sim, like a possible outcome for him. Yeah. And I think he's, he, he's shown, I mean, he showed Sunday that he's good enough, but I think even in his tape out of coming out of college, the little bit that I did see the articles that I read, you know, the podcast that I listened to, a lot of people liked Elijah Mitchell. They thought it was a good landing spot and he, he showed enough as a prospect to have some legit upside. So I'm excited to see more. I'd like to see him go against an actual defense instead of the Detroit Lions. But, um, you know, we go with what we go with. Now let's move on from the 49ers backfield to the 49ers uh, receiving core, the wide receivers, the targets that Jimmy Garoppolo and eventually Trey Lance have. Dan, this might have been the drum that me and, and to an extent you as well were beating all offseason long. I don't understand the the price gap between Brandon Ayuk, fourth, fifth round, and Debo Samuel, eighth, ninth round. I didn't understand it in February. I didn't understand it in, in May. And I didn't understand it in August. And guess what? The Niners didn't understand it on September 12th. <laughs> uh, well, I think I think that maybe we didn't get the full uh, you know, the full share of news on Ayuk's injury, because it sounds like it maybe was injury related rather than being relegated to the bench as Trey Sermon was. But like you mentioned, there was absolutely no reason for Debo Samuel to be a couple rounds later than Brandon Ayuk. These two should have been going back to back. They should have been in the ballpark of like the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers, uh, the Broncos you know, wide receivers, the Broncos wide receivers. You know, that's, that's kind of the group we want to keep because I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is a fine quarterback. He's he's slightly above replacement level, but he's kind of a career backup. If you believe in any of the upside of Trey Lance, these two should have been flying up your list. And only Brandon Ayuk really did, even though we've seen Debo produce pretty significantly. And we saw Brandon Ayuk do it a little bit as a rookie, which is always promising. But we now have two seasons of, of um, Debo Samuel, even though one of them was a little bit limited, to... You know, we know he can play. We know how they're going to use him. They're going to get him the ball. Defenses, just like we saw what kind of Detroit's plan was, is really to take away Kittle. They said, we're not going to let Kittle beat us. If you're going to beat us, beat us outside, beat us down the field. Make your wide receivers make plays because 
if you get the ball into Kittle's hands, he's just going to rough up your defense, just like how Travis Kelsey does, what we see with Darren Waller, Mark Andrews. The tight ends that are legit are going to just tear apart defenses if you let them. Defenses and defensive coordinators seem to think that they have a better chance of going one-on-one with their corners versus your wide receivers than they do against a linebacker and a safety going against George Kittle. So these wide receivers are going to eat. I think now we'll prop Debo probably back up to where he should be and maybe slide Ayuk just a touch. But honestly, I think kind of where Ayuk was going is really where Debo should probably have been going. And they're both worthy of a spot in that top 50 area, in my opinion. I, I would just like to see Ayuk healthy and getting the targets. But this offense is going to be special if, if they can all be healthy and, and start to put this thing together. And from like a week-to-week starting perspective, I do think that Ayuk, whether it's from health or a role or whatever it might be, you're, you you kind of have to wait to get burned by leaving him on the bench. Like there's going to be a week you put him on the bench and he scores, you know, 24 and you'll have to live with that and then start him the next week. Because I don't think you can be confident in putting Ayuk in your lineup until he shows that he's going to have a role because he just didn't, whether it's from injury or not. It's not good that he didn't have a role in week one. Yeah. And, and the soft tissue stuff, because I, I think originally it was a hamstring with Ayuk, if I'm not mistaken. You know, we've seen guys like Sammy Watkins who, one soft soft tissue and like it just lingers forever um and there's never the same so i hope that's not what we get with brandon ayuk hopefully it was just precautionary to keep him out maybe you know he he ran her out pregame or or did something you know early where they just didn't feel comfortable you know pushing him so and they they were playing the lions who they knew they were going to boat race granted the lions made right. it a game at the end but you know somehow scored three touchdowns in like a minute and a half or whatever it was. <laughs> All right. Now let's talk about those lines really quickly. Let's talk about um, slightly before game time. Um, there was a, a blurb that came out that basically Jamal Williams is the Detroit RB one. And then Swift is the one B and you, t- you tweeted me the D toilet lions, um, <laughs> which is not incorrect, not incorrect, but you were doing so in my reference to my affinity for one Deandre Swift from a fantasy perspective and versus my affinity for Jamal Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as well. Um, but you, well, see, so you were wrong about Swift being, uh, detoileted, um, because he is still productive, still making big plays. Um, you know, albeit in quote unquote garbage time. Um, but it looks like both, these guys, both Williams and Swift, are fantasy relevant. And then kind of what we saw in week one is that Swift is the ceiling play and Williams is the guy who's going to probably get you like 10 to 12 points every week. So I think I think the takeaway here that it's not about being wrong or being right, one being bad, one being good. Jamal Williams is a problem for DeAndre Swift. He absolutely caps his ceiling but I don't think in any way he moves DeAndre Swift's floor. I think both of these guys have a relatively high floor. And I, to be honest with you, think they're going to continue to use a good mix of both of them, especially in the passing game, because both of them look pretty good catching passes. Obviously, DeAndre Swift, that's, in my opinion, what he excels at. And they'd be stupid not to use him more there. I just, I really think between the tackles, Jamal Williams is an adequate, you know, He's he's good. He's not he's no slouch. I know people want oh Aaron Jones and now DeAndre Swift. Jamal Williams is a hell of a football player. I loved him coming out of college. I wish he would have gotten a fair shake to be a one somewhere, 
Um, and you know, he gets stuck with Aaron Jones, who is a, a pretty darn good running back. And now he gets, uh, a, an elite college talent in Deandre Swift, who is good. I don't think he's elite at the pro level, but I think he is very good. I, I just have a real problem with Deandre Swift's price compared to what his ceiling actually is. Considering the fact that Jamal Williams isn't going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, you could make a. I mean, it there. There's a difference in the argument, but you can make a similar argument to my Debo Ayuk take that you could say, why is Jamal Williams ten rounds later than DeAndre Swift? It, that's probably an over exaggeration, but you know, seven to eight rounds ahead of Jamal Williams. Well, yeah, I mean, you have you have draft capital and and all of that to think about when in DeAndre Swift's, you know, Debo and and Ayuk both were pretty high, pretty highly sought after yeah. and and that's valued true. that way, so. You know, they the Lions made a point to go get Jamal Williams. This wasn't just like a well, I, you know, let's get him for vet minimum and and see if he makes the team. No, they they had plans for Jamal Williams. It's very clear that he was always going to be have a role in the offense, especially considering how atrocious these wide receivers are. Um, this offense it, it runs through T.J. Hawkinson, through DeAndre Swift, and through Jamal Williams. As as crazy as that sounds, these are your three playmakers right now. And that's not going to change until they spend, uh, you know, high draft capital on a wide receiver. All righty, let's move on to our next topic, which is 72% completion percentage, 403 passing yards, three touchdowns, and 13 rushing yards. We have Dak Prescott is hashtag back. Dak is back. You and I were never in like afraid of Dak being back. Um, uh, put this in a Dr. Seuss book. Um, but certainly any sort of like worries about the knee and granted Dak is never going to be the guy he was when he was younger, where he, you know, he was running for 300, 400 yards a year. That's never happening again, but that isn't because of the injury. That's because of his receiving core. He doesn't need to. Yeah. So Dak, huge Cowboys clearly like I, one of my like detractors, um, to the, to Dak preseason was that maybe the Cowboys offense won't be absolutely putrid. Um, but the, the results are in Cowboys defense. It's putrid. <laughs> so uh, Dak Prescott and his 58 pass attempts, there's going to be more where that's coming. Uh, his shoulders are going to be sore by the end of the year with 17 games, um, but huge for fantasy. He's, he's going to be a top three quarterback at minimum if he stays healthy. You know, you say Dak is back. I say he never left. Sure, he was injured, but when you have this amount of just unreal weapons, you're never going anywhere. He looked really good. I was pretty happy with what I saw. And, you know, the defense is putrid, but when you're going against a Tom Brady-led offense that also happens to have a significant number of weapons, I would like to see what they do against just an average offense. Uh, Tampa Bay, Dallas, those are two probably top three or four offenses in the entire league. So, uh, but going back to Dak, he looked great. He still has the weapons. They're going to be throwing it a lot. I, I would imagine, you know, obviously 60 probably isn't realistic. I would hope not, or his arm might fall off. But, you know, any any games like this that are going to be shootouts, man, this offense is going to show its teeth. They're, they're going to put up pretty massive numbers. It's fun to see Amari and CD both show up with huge games. Uh, would have liked to have seen Gallup get a few more, few more looks. He only got seven targets compared to Amari Cooper's 16 and CD Lamb's 15. So, obviously, we know where Dallas and Dak feel uh, as in terms of wide receivers go. But 
Yeah, I, I mean, Dak's going to make a push for one of those top couple spots in, in dynasty rankings at your QB position. Obviously, you have to have Mahomes at one, but the the rest is kind of up for grabs. And to be honest with you, I think Dak makes a really a, a damn good case to be number two. Yep, for sure. So any other positives from, from week one for the Cowboys? Is, is there one guy you're having stock up? I mean, we were reminded that Amari like Amari Cooper when when he gets going is arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. Well, and that's the thing that you know the Cowboys have two elite wide receivers, not just one. Not, not what people think is CD Lamb. A lot of people still don't think Amari Cooper is good, which I will <laughs> never grasp. This was an elite okay, no, prospect. Dan, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. You are one of the people who still thinks Mike Evans is bad, so you can't. Well, even he's talk. very mediocre. He uses his size. He's a fifty-fifty guy. Amari Cooper is an elite route runner. He can separate. He can play any one of the wide receiver positions. Everything you could possibly want, including production, is there. And people are still detractors. People were saying sell all offseason. Same with CeeDee Lamb, which also I don't get. You have two elite wide receivers. You have a, a good, that used to be great running back in Ezekiel Elliott. And you still have probably the best wide receiver three uh, except for maybe not the Bucks for, and Antonio Brown, or, I guess I, I guess maybe Mike Evans is their wide receiver three now. So, oh, you shut know, the hell Michael Jesus. Gallup, Mike Evans, it's a battle of the mics for top wide receiver three in the NFL up there with uh, probably Chase Claypool, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Anyways, um, it, it's you can buy all of them. You might even be able to buy the tight ends. They're getting six, five, six, seven, eight targets, too. This offense is going to have to throw because, like you said, defense, not good. But uh, in games where they absolutely are overpowering the other team, just on their, from their offensive perspective, the defense won't have to do as much. They'll be able to relax. They'll be able to just play the pass, not have to worry about the run, which they didn't have to worry about the run with Tampa. But when you have Brady and those, and those you know, Gronk and all the wide receivers, even, even though the running backs had a, a little bit of a hand in the passing game too, um, that, that is a little bit different for the defense. So, I just think this offense is, you know, the, the arrow is pointed vertically. They're, it's not even aiming north. It's it's vertical. It's a vertical lineup. Speaking of getting vertical, let's hear about ourselves. Roto Viz. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener, and as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate those fantasy leagues in 2021 we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All righty, let's get back into the show. Our next one. So with Dak being back, Corey Davis is hashtag good. Not sure why those two are connected other than the last two topics on the spreadsheet. Uh, Corey Davis, um, the Jets, granted, not surprisingly, looked pretty bad in the first half and pretty bad overall. But Zach Wilson and the Jets offense showed some signs in the second half, along with Corey Davis having himself a huge, huge day, which is a definitely a positive indicator. He's gaining that trust from their rookie early on. They're going to be a team that has to pass when they're playing a quarterback that's better than Sam Darnold. Um, and so, yeah, I I think Arrow's pointing up for one Corey Davis and Elijah Moore as well. I think both these guys are going to be a solid pairing uh, for their prices in Dynasty right now. Yeah, Elijah Moore had a had a tough go of it with with only a few targets and I think he only had one catch for like negative five yards or something. Um, but yeah, Corey Davis looked good. I, I wish I would have seen more from Zach Wilson. Um, you know, that offensive line is so bad that he just really didn't have the time to be able to throw. You know, it, this could be this could be David Carr all over again where all the potential in the universe, but they're just going to let him get killed back there. And, and then they're going to inevitably move on because they don't think he can handle the pressure, even though their offensive line is essentially just blocking pads. Uh, you know, the, you have Corey Davis, you have Elijah Moore. I think those are really nice pieces to build off of. The backfield is is pretty slim pickings. I know a lot of people like Michael Carter. Uh, I've always been a fan of Tevin Coleman, but I, I think he's kind of past his, his uh, usability. Ty Johnson is just another guy. And then you look at the back end of the receiving core, um, Denzel Mims, who I think everybody's out on. Braxton Berrios became a thing after you know after a couple of years. So I don't know. It, it's it's going to be one of those things where you're probably just chasing volume. I still think Corey Davis is is really good. Uh, it's a tough situation. You got a rookie quarterback with no offensive line and a horrendous defense. So at the very least, there should be some volume. Uh, but when you play a bad team like Carolina, you really don't have the opportunity to run a lot of plays. So Hopefully we'll see things, you know, get a little uptick from from offensive play standpoint. And, and maybe they try to hone in some of these targets. Uh, Zach Wilson targeted a significant number of players with multiple targets. Uh, and only Corey Davis and, and Braxton Berrios had seven each. And then Ryan Griffin had six. So uh, I'd like to see that Corey Davis target number get up to like that 10 range pretty consistently. Uh, but he was very, very efficient with it. He, he went five for 97 and two scores. So um that's a positive obviously the two touchdowns is is a number that's going to regress i would guess he'll probably end the season with like six uh so it, it's a pretty absolutely hot not no listen no, no hold on Corey davis somewhat surprising that as i have this career numbers in front of me uh, if you would have asked me what Corey davis's like career high in touchdowns would have been i would guess like eight nine his career high touchdowns is five which was last year in yeah. only 14 games um so i think that he is going to smash his career high very soon yeah, I mean, I would like to see, finally, we get the the positive regression uh, to into that 8 to 10 to 12, dare I say, 
touchdowns. The, the issue is, is we need to get the Jets to the red zone or they need to make big plays. I'm not sure I see either one of those things happening. <laughs> but like I said, I do think that it, it's a big thing for Corey Davis to have that trust very early on. Not, not that Zach Wilson has a bunch of options to decide who to trust. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, they got that rapport going early on. Next, we have the tight end position uh, with Jawan Johnson. Now, Dan, every year there are these wide receiver tight ends. There are these random sleepers that I hear about like two weeks before the season starts. And basically I pick and choose like some, like I'm all in and I have like on 19 of my 19 rosters. And the others, I'm just like, I don't have the time to even think about who that is. Um, Jawan Johnson fell in the category of, I didn't have time to even think about who that was um, until I saw him on red zone scoring two touchdowns, three, he only had three catches for 21 yards, but two trips to the end zone in week one with his man, Jameis Winston at the helm. Granted, uh, Jameis threw for like 156 yards and five touchdowns. So nobody was getting any sort of receiving yards from Jameis Winston, but this does show that he is a red zone option. He is going to be a guy who Jameis trusts in the red zone. Juwan Johnson, not a guy I am going to try and buy in, in Dynasty. I think that he's a fine, you know, waiver wire pickup if you have some fab that you want to blow on him. But he's not a guy that I am uh, – I hate to rag on him on his birthday, um, actually. Today's <laughs> his birthday. Happy birthday, Juwan, but I am not buying you in Dynasty. Yeah, I think the only player in New Orleans you really should be buying is Alvin Kamara. Uh, I mean, sky's, sky's the limit there. He's got all the opportunity – and really no, you know, no one challenging him for any looks. Uh, Jawan Johnson, you know, the first time I heard the name after the first touchdown, I thought, wow, didn't that guy used to play basketball? I thought Jawan Howard, but it turns out it's Jawan Johnson. He plays for the Jawan New Orleans. Like 80 years old. I, I trust me. I know. I was like, that seems strange. Uh, but yeah, everyone's favorite Marquez Callaway, who was new wide receiver one, did really well. He was good. Uh, glad you guys all spent first round picks on him. Those were definitely worth it. Uh, Deontay Harris, also just kind of a flash in the pan guy. There's just really nothing here. I think if you could get uh, a cheap flyer on Michael Thomas, who is cheap relative to potential wide receiver one, I, I think that's probably your only other option as far as buying goes. Um, if you are in need of tight end, though, uh, you could use the Juwan Johnson hype to go get Adam Troutman for cheaper. He doubled Juwan Johnson in targets and had essentially the same performance catching three passes for something like 20 yards. He just didn't catch the two touchdowns. So Juwan Johnson has no dynasty relevance in my opinion, whereas Adam Troutman to me probably does. I think he's a decent tight end too. Uh, a really nice guy just kind of have as your secondary tight end in case one of the main guys goes down. All right, let's move on to our next topic, which is the Bengals offense. The Bengals offense is a team that we touted as, you know, a possible quote-unquote like 2020 Dallas, you know, a breakout young offense, putting things together. And for the most part, it lived up to the hype after one week. It did take them five quarters to do so. But <laughs> Jamar Chase looks like the stud Jamar Chase was in 2019. Tyler Boyd looks like as reliable as he's always been. And T Higgins showed that the Jamar chase does not Jamar chase pick does not scare his fancy value whatsoever. Yeah. Um, 
Joe Mixon, it, it was really nice to finally see just like a strong game. He looked good all game, whether he was catching passes or between the tackles. Uh, he he looked how I would I've been expecting Joe Mixon to look. And uh, this year he looks significantly more poised, in my my opinion. Uh, Joe Burrow, I think early on looked a little bit shaky, but as the game went on, you kind of saw the legs get get back underneath him. Uh, that offensive line still pretty bad, and uh, you know Burrow kind of he 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 ate some of those sacks when he definitely could have got rid of the ball, held on to it too long, and uh, that'll just you know come with more gameplay. Uh, again, he you know he's coming off the injury and and has really limited usage, so uh, that's all just kind of part of it. But the wide receivers kind of went how I thought they would go. I, I thought. Maybe we'd see a little bit more through the air, but uh, Cincinnati really just kind of depended on the run. They ran the ball 36 times and only threw it 27. So that, uh, that's a, a pretty weird breakdown, in my opinion. I think that'll shift as game scripts change a little bit, but it went how I kind of thought it would. I, I figured Jamar Chase and T. Higgins would kind of be the one-two combo, and Tyler Boyd is again. We we talk about these wide receiver threes. A great wide receiver three. He's. I, I just don't think the volume is going to be there for a fourth option because I do think Joe Mixon is going to demand more from the offense than a Tyler Boyd would. But uh, yeah, overall a, a pretty solid performance. I wouldn't say great. The the really nice thing to see was Joe Mixon being efficient with his looks. Uh, and I, I'm going to give. I'm going to give Jamar Chase one more week before I say he looks like that guy because his touchdown, uh, Bashad Breeland was caught sleeping. He was expecting help over the top. It wasn't there. That was free. So busted coverage. I want to see Jamar Chase beat somebody. He didn't really beat those wide receivers much that game, uh, aside from the one broken play where it looked like he beat him, but Breeland was just playing soft for some reason. Uh, I, I want to see him use his tools because I know that they're there. He looked, he looked good, but at the same time, uh, his, the, the speed of the game didn't really seem like it was there for him. And two interesting tidbits um, about the Bengals with, so obviously everybody wanted them to take Panay Sewell to, to protect Joe Burrow and Kevin Cole, uh, formerly of Rotova is now at PFF. Put, pulled up two statistics that I thought were very interesting in terms of how they're protecting Joe Burrow outside of just the 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 you know the players themselves. Um, so he cited that Joe Burrow had the sixth lowest game neutral play action rate. Basically, he had the sixth fewest play actions in 2020. In 2020, and in 2021, week one, he had 58 percent as opposed to 33 percent. So um, second highest in the NFL in week one, protecting the quarterback by that play action buys them some time. And then the other one, which I thought was nuts, uh, Joe Burrow dropped back in an empty formation more often than any quarterback in 2020, 27.3. So empty formation a quarter of the time. And they dropped that number from 27.3 to 9.1, which is seventh lowest. So once again, not protecting a quarterback by having even the threat of a blocker in the form of running back or even the threat of a running game. Basically, they were exposing Joe Burrow last year and – they were they're kind of like covering up some of that exposure in, in the first game of 2021. Yeah. I mean, the defense is going to get free licks as it is because of how bad that offensive line is. But when you leave him empty like that and you split everybody out or, or remove the, you know, Joe Mixon from the backfield or Samaj P Ryan as your, as your lead blocker, it's, 
that's not going to bode well for, for Joe Burrow. Uh, he could end up having that Zach Wilson type, David Carr type, even Andrew Luck type because of the actual hype. Uh, you know, Andrew Luck got beat up back there. And I would hate to see uh, a high-end prospect like Joe Burrow go to waste um, because this this offense could be very good if they can keep him protected. And we will wrap up the show with a pair of players that I do not have on very many fantasy rosters, um, it pains me to say. But it is the Philadelphia Eagles. It is their top two wide receivers, Devonta Smith and Jalen Rager. Devonta Smith, 71 yards and a touch. And Jalen Rager, 49 yards in a touch. Um, you know, you and I have been trashing Jalen Hurts all offseason, and he went for 264 and three touchdowns. Granted, it was against the Atlanta Falcons. That's the big <laughs> caveat, the Atlanta Falcons. Let's see what they do against a team that's not the Atlanta Falcons. But Jalen Hurts and these two young wideouts looked much better than expected entering the season. Yeah, and you said it. I mean, Atlanta has no pass rush. They have no secondary uh, they, I think they have one linebacker that's still healthy. It's just a, it, it's a gong show in Atlanta. So, um, it was nice to see these guys perform aside from Miles Sanders, who hopefully everyone's sold, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to love the upside here. I thought Devonta Smith actually played pretty well. Um, Jalen Rager was just essentially catching everything underneath and, and taking the easy stuff, which I don't hate at all. I think if he can get five, six, eight targets, uh, you know, bubble screens or, or slants or outs or whatever it is. And just to get him going, you know, he can do more down the field, but get him the ball, get him some work. I, I think we know Devonta Smith can be explosive and be a playmaker. The, the worry always with him was the size. I think he showed pretty well. Um, not a, not a crazy amount of volume here, but it was a blowout essentially the whole game. So we, we wouldn't really expect a ton of passing offense through uh, through Philly. So I, I was fortunate enough to get a few shares of Devonta Smith only because of how far he kept falling. And he was getting to the point where it was like, hmm, do I take Devonta Smith or Kadarius Tony? I'm going to go with Devonta Smith. Thank you. Uh, I, I like the upside. I still don't think Jalen Hurts is very good, but... You know, if they play Atlanta every week, this could be fun offense. Unfortunately, they do not play Atlanta every week. So we'll see how the Eagles and Hurts play in a world that isn't the Falcons defense. Let's see, who do they play this coming week? I'm pulling it up right now. We have the 49ers. <laughs> this should be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the 49ers defense looked competent for, you know, the first three quarters and then gave up 87 points in the fourth quarter. So <laughs> <laughs> they stopped. Well, they full stopped playing. They just said, yeah, figure it out. You, I guarantee you guys can't score enough points. Even with us, we could turn our backs and stop trying and you still won't score enough points. And they didn't, they got close, but they didn't. So yeah, I, I think uh, it'll be, it'll be snack time for the 49ers defense on, on Philly. The one positive note for Philadelphia is the offensive line um, and Jalen hurts mobility. He can get out of that pocket pretty quickly. And, and hopefully these wide receivers can can start getting open for him when he does have to roll out or escape the pocket and make plays with his legs. Um, I still do think, though, that the one big offseason move for Dynasty owners, hopefully you're able to make it, is, is moving on from Miles Sanders with a mobile quarterback in Jalen Hurts and their need, in my opinion, to get, is going to be throwing the football and a limited usage you know, between the tackles. 
the PPR upsides there probably for Miles Sanders. I just don't think there's much of a floor on the ground. Uh, he'll have big games, game scripts that that work in his favor. But uh, I think where his price got was it was just an easy sell, and and now his price is getting a little bit more palatable. I think um, still in the sell book for me. Uh, I, I I have no interest in having him. I, I probably wouldn't even be starting him unless my running backs were that bad. All right, that should wrap us up for this evening. Any last words, Dan, before we head into week dose? Looking forward to week two. Hopefully people stay healthy. Hopefully everybody won all of their matchups. And, uh, yeah, looking forward. Oh, and I'm sad about Judy. Very sad. Yeah, that's tough. It's only like a month, though, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, you should be all right. All righty, that should wrap us up. We'll talk to you guys next week. I don't even know what that means. Speaking of getting vertical, I got vertical. I got vertical with your transition. <laughs>